0: Please listen carefully. Hey guys, this is Chris Plentis with Crossacana Radio, and we are going to do part two of the Q&A from last time. Um, so a couple of things that I wanted to clear up from the last podcast since I had uh, gone back and listened to some parts and uh, I was all over the place because I was just reading the questions and answering them on the spot. So the first thing uh, were was concerning the rest week. Um, so there was a question from Deb about how many times or how often should you take a rest day? Um, and so I explained that uh, because she, had, she was wondering whether she should break up to a two-day uh, rest period or have them back to back and I said suggested that breaking them up instead of going like Saturday Sunday rest doing more of like a Wednesday Saturday or breaking them up would be better but I completely skipped over the rest week and that's something that we talk a lot about in person here but um, not something that we've talked about on the podcast I believe so about every quarter I like to have people take a rest week but that doesn't mean to to do nothing at all. It's just sit on the couch. Um, so, so a rest week or a deload week, we define as a week where you come in on a normal schedule to move, um, but you treat it each day of that week um, or however many times you come in as technique days or e- where you do 50% of the weight that you normally do, uh, 50% of the reps. You um, take an AMRAP and instead of an AMRAP, you do more of an EMOM format. Um, so basically that you are not going at the same intensity that you normally would. Um, there's a lot of debate about periodization out there, and there's some, some newer research um, saying that periodization is, is not a thing, but I still believe that a lot of people tend to have a, a good amount of stress just in their day-to-day life, and then adding on top of that high-intensity workouts uh, might actually be detrimental to people. Um, in terms of raising cortisol and stress levels. So every so often, um, especially because not all of us can take a week vacation somewhere sunny and sit on a beach and just completely relax every quarter, um, instead of doing that, uh, coming in and going through workouts at a more even and slower pace than normal. So yes, we believe high intensity workouts work to get people results that they want, uh, but it should not be every single day, day in, day out, um, especially if you're coming in four, five, six days a week. So we like to encourage people every so often to, to do a deload week and use that time to focus on technique, to not be afraid to scale down, uh, to, to work on being more efficient, uh, and as a coach, we love to see that because while we would love to see that um, focus on technique and working on form all of the time, it, it can definitely be hard as an athlete to to do that in a normal workout. But if you're telling yourself and if, if people know that you're on a deload week, it's no problem to do lighter weight and it's no problem to do, let's say, um... Not getting your toes all the way to the bar on toes to bar, but instead focusing on staying long and through that hollow and arch. And uh, we have a number of athletes who have been working on their form anyway, but uh, doing a deload week can can definitely help. So there's you know natural life things that happen where you get sick and you're out for a week or you you do go on vacation. I think those can also kind of be counted as as a deload week, but. Uh, if you notice that for a few months in a row you've been coming in and hitting it hard, and you're you're feeling like you're not really getting you know any progress, uh, I would actually say take a step back. Don't go at the normal intensity that you that you normally would, um, but just move, and then see how that that goes for you. So that's the rest week, um, and then in terms of the supplements, I just wanted to button that up um, to be clear. So in terms of supplements, I think, you know, we had talked about pre-workout and how it's really individual because it is a stimulant. And so for some people like me who are fine with stimulants in the sense of I drink coffee in the morning, um, if I do pre-workout before a workout, um, I'm not up all night, Uh, whereas other people will be going off the wall and be bonkers and they should not be anywhere near stimulants like that. Um, so pre workout, having a small piece of fruit or having um, doing like pre workout if that works for you, um, and also BCAAs, branched chain amino acids, uh, those can all be good. Branched chain amino acids are essentially uh, it's like protein powder without the dairy. I mean that's the best way that I describe it and they can come in different flavors they can come unflavored although th- that's pretty potent and does not taste good at all um but what they do is they can reduce the muscle soreness that you feel afterwards um because those amino acids are essential to uh keeping m- your muscle tone and your your muscle um mass basically so uh, it's that, that's putting it very simply but um you know, that, that soreness after a super intense workout that you feel, you can mitigate that by having five to 10 grams of BCAAs before a workout, uh, 10 to 30 minutes before a workout. So that's what I would have pre-workout. And that's what I do have pre-workout. I have 10 grams of BCAAs typically. And then, um, depending on the time of day and depending on what I want to get out of the workout, I may or may not have a pre-workout, um, from SFH, stronger, faster, healthier, um, and then post-workout, I will almost always have a scoop of protein powder. Personally, I do a non-dairy protein powder from Equip, E Q U I P. We stock that, and then we also we also do stock Stronger Faster Healthier, um, either for our vegetarian members or people who who like that brand and are okay with dairy. Um, so personally i'll do the the beef protein powder um which sounds weirder than it is because it tastes just like uh it's just a chocolate powder and then i will also do a sweet potato powder for my carbs and i'll have anywhere between 25 and 50 grams of carbs with that um, protein so it's essentially it's a protein shake but with carbohydrate and the more intense the workout the the longer workout um, the more carbs I'll have right after the workout in that shake. Um, and then I usually go home and uh, either have dinner or, if I, I do work out in the middle of the day, um, a meal like lunch uh, or even breakfast. If I, on the rare days that I work out in the morning, um, then I will have a meal within two hours of that workout. So I'll have the shake, protein shake with carbs in it, and then also a regular meal. But for people who are looking to lean out uh, and or newer, you know, CrossFitters, I I don't think having carbs post-workout is necessary um, because if you're looking to lean out, then your body should be using that body fat for fuel. Um, Protein powder isn't a bad idea. Um, It's not going to be detrimental, really, unless you are sensitive to dairy and you're having a dairy protein powder. Um, But your mileage may vary with protein powder. Uh, so I don't think there's, you know, extreme benefits to having it right after a workout, but I also don't think there's um, anything that detrimental to having it either. So I just wanted to button that up because I th- feel like I was all over the place with the supplement question last, last time. Um, and now we can move on to new questions. So um, Lam asks, if you're looking to increase your proficiency in a particular skill, How often should you work on it without over practicing? This is a good question. Um, The first thing that comes to mind immediately are double unders. So double unders are jumping rope where the rope passes under your feet twice, uh, in case you didn't know that. People new to CrossFit typically do not have double unders. It takes a while to get it. And it's definitely a neurological adaptation. So um, besides the actual requirement to be able to jump and move your wrists um, to, to move the cape, the, the jump rope around. It's mostly neurological. uh, And so that means it just takes practice. So people ask, how can I get better at double unders? And the answer is to practice every day. Now we don't want to get to the point where we're practicing for 20 minutes and we're sweating and fatiguing or fatigued. And, you know, we have, really poor form and we're just barely jumping off the ground. We don't want to get to that point, but since the question is about a skill rather than let's say, you know, gaining strength with skill work, I think a few minutes every day is better than 30 minutes one day a week because studies are pretty clear with practice acquiring any skill, whether that's playing guitar, getting double unders, learning a language, Doing a few minutes every day, consistently, is going to pay off better for long-term memory, long-term retention, compared to a an intense session, a longer session once a week, um, or more infrequently. So, it would you know it would have to be. We would have to look at you and see, you know, where you are, where you are, and what skill you're trying to learn. Uh, if it's something like a muscle up, that involves both strength and skill because you need the strength to pull yourself up on the rings and then the skill to transfer into the, that dip uh, to transition. Uh, so that's actually both strength and skill, um, and you know, body weight plays a vector in that. Um, proficiency, body awareness, spatial awareness. All that comes into play with something like that, but if it's something like double unders, basically five minutes a day, and don't go to the point where you're going to get frustrated because um, frustrated practice is is most likely not good practice. So I don't I don't think practice makes perfect, but necessarily, but uh, perfect practice makes permanent. So practice doesn't make necessarily make perfect but perfect practice or you know, conscientious practice can make permanent. So if you're tired and fatigued and you're working on double-unders but your form is completely off and it's not like how it was when you were fresh, just stop because it's not worth making permanent uh, poor form. Okay. All right, moving on. At what point do you abandon your career? Mike H., asks, at what point do you abandon your career and get you a new one? This is, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, well, I can't tell with Mike if it's going to be a serious question or not. Um, but I can speak from experience because I had uh, switched my upcoming career. Uh, I switched my major in college. I was uh, I went in as a civil engineer in the middle of my junior year. So after two full years plus a semester, I switched to counseling, and at the time, uh, that seemed crazy to a lot of people, including my parents, because I needed to spend a fifth year in college, undergrad, Now, and I never thought I would be one of those fifth years, but I ended up doing that, um, and then after a number of years, seven years or so of counseling slash being in the education world, I quit my job and opened up a gym. So at what point do you abandon your career and get a new one? Um, When you feel like you need to, it's, um, you know, and we've, it's, it's a lighthearted question, I think, but um, we've actually had a number of conversations with people at the gym about their careers and how they're not that happy with them and, um, Gary V is a really good resource in case you guys need that motivation to take the leap. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk, he talks a lot about, you know, never being too old to do something new. and um, But what you need to do is, is work on your craft and to actually become really good at it rather than just wishing you were good at it. Um, I've talked to a number of box owners who did the same thing where they quit their jobs and started new careers, and they didn't regret that decision at all. Um, I think even if you do that and you end up quote unquote failing to the point where people close a box, I think they still probably appreciate having taken that risk and seeing what the results were and kind of owning that decision. So I used to do uh, college counseling at a high school level and I would tell my kids like when it comes to picking colleges and whether they wanted to go to one or the parents wanted them to go to one that ultimately it's their decision. And yes, like parents might be paying for college, but once you're there on campus, you are going to own that decision and and it's going to be your education on the line. So no matter what happens, whether it's a a good experience or a bad experience, you have to own that decision. And so I feel like it's the same thing with careers. Um, Now, I don't think you should do anything blindly necessarily, um, unless you have the resources to do that. But When I was opening up the gym, we had uh, student loans, we had car loans, and without getting into specific numbers, we we had a good amount of both of those. And we spent more than a few years saving up and paying off all of those things. And it was uh, one of those situations where doing the math, we we would have had, uh, let's say, student loans, right, Um, until well into our 40s. And we just made the decision to hunger down and save and not spend as much and put um, bonuses and, and all that stuff towards debt. And so uh, when we opened up the box, it was a calculated decision, and it was something that we were prepping for for years. So. Um, you know, it might seem like a rash decision, but um, it it was in the works and in planning for for years. I mean, I started thinking about opening a box back in 2011, and didn't get super serious about it until probably 2014. Um, and now it's 2018, and we're only eight months in. So, um, you know, I would say don't necessarily take a blind leap. But at the same time, if you feel like something else is calling, then go ahead and pursue it as a side gig and see what happens. And if you're really passionate about it and have the skills for it, then things will end up working out, or at least you'll take a, a risk and then you'll see how it works out. But you'll own it. Usually, you know, I think I think usually people, or at least my philosophy is that I don't want to have any regrets. So at least with having a the box right now i can see what is happening and i might pivot i might not but at least i'm i'm doing it um so i'm not just talking about it um it's like travel you know we we've traveled to a number of places tanzania iceland peru uh, a bunch of places in europe and when we talk to people about it they're like oh i I've always wanted to do that or I've always wanted to travel and you know at the end of the day, at the end of the day if you really wanted to do something you would do it right so actions speak louder than words if you actually wanted to do something you would figure it out and, and come up with a plan to, to do it so it might not might not happen right away might not happen this year might not happen in the next five years but if there's something that that's calling you then you need to figure out how you can get it done um whatever's on that bucket list or whatever you're thinking about career-wise go ahead and uh and set yourself up for the best success with whatever that transition looks like so I can I can talk about this all day because that's I mean I talked to career and college stuff with kid with teenagers and uh even now we, we talk about it in classes but um I think there's just so many resources out there nowadays, especially with the internet, where you can learn anything, literally anything, on the internet. And there's really no excuses anymore about um, if you're unhappy with with a, a job or or anything, that you can't go out and and start something either on the side or completely new. And usually, it's it's a it starts on the side and then and then may turn into something uh, permanent. All right. Anyway. Um, actually, one last point. The last one I want to make is that it do, this also doesn't mean that you should, you know, quit your job and only do what you love, because if what you love can't make you money, then, you know, it's not that practical. So you can love um, painting, let's say, but if you're not good enough to sell those paintings and you don't have the resources to live independently um, without working then you should not quit your job and just paint so you know there is that practicality of it um, yes i think you should pursue pursue what you love but you shouldn't drop everything only for that all right rant over dennis says how can you prevent common injuries why is mobility important oh, well let's see Mobility is important because for things that we do in the gym, we put people through large ranges of motion. And if your body can't get into certain positions and also we have weights involved, then they can put torque on the body that isn't ready for it. So there's a couple of things that we want to keep in mind though. You know, number one is that this is why scaling exists. If we have overhead squats, where you hold a bar overhead and you squat down, but your shoulders are so tight that you can't get the bar in the right position, then you shouldn't be using a barbell or weights at all. We should be using either PVC pipe or a bar light enough where it allows you to get in good positions. Um, the other thing, is, so, so there's an ego piece to this, right? Um, where you need to, as an athlete, listen to your coach, um not worry about doing something that looks different just because uh, other people are doing big weights or barbells or stuff you should focus on the long long long-term goals you know where do you want to be in 10 years well if if in 10 years you want to be doing what they're doing and right now for this one workout for one hour of this one day and then you know for the next few workouts we need to scale down well so be it right so ego definitely plays a big part um how can you prevent common injuries? You know, at at some level you can't prevent every single injury. Um, there's just going to be, there's going to be accidents that happen. However, uh, by scaling appropriately, by taking things 10 times slower than you think you need to or want to, I think those are, those are helpful, uh, broad guidelines. Um, working on mobility on your own is important. Um, Muscles can regenerate in 7 to 10 days. Um, Tendons and ligaments can take up to 200 days. So that means our mobility, where we need to get in better better positions, needs to be patient and we need to work on it every day. So just like Lam's question about, you know, how do I work on a skill? You got to work on it every day. Mobility is one of those things that you should do every day. Knowing that it's going to take around 200 days or years to actually see any worthwhile improvement. Um, so I have to remind myself of that as well. That's something that I always am working on and plenty of people need to. Um, we don't wanna be over flexible. So flexibility, let's define the two. Flexibility is, is a um, the ability to move joints through ranges of motion right so just literally can you um, fold yourself over and touch the floor but mobility i see as being more practical in the sense of what positions do i need to get in in order to move well and in order to do the things we want to do in the gym so it's not helpful to be super mobile or super flexible have hyper flexibility if it doesn't allow me to do things better, right? So there's a certain point where I need to squat down, but there can be such a thing as being too flexible. And we see this with some people's shoulder mobility, where typically people have pretty tight shoulders, but every so often we see people who with very flexible shoulders. And if they're so flexible and can get into... Any position or most positions they might not have the strength in their shoulder girdle to control a barbell control a kettlebell dumbbell and so that's actually a detriment so mobility is important but in a practical sense um, we don't want to necessarily strive for hyper flexibility um lam says to dennis's question i like this one and to dive deeper what are common injuries that coaches see and what steps can members take to decrease the chances of it happening common injuries um definitely shoulder related things um typically people need to work on shoulder mobility more than they think they need to and want to and then um that also comes with um doing things too early so here we have people either do ring rows or do pull-ups on a modified uh, pull-up bar where we can lower it and have their feet on the ground. We feel like this is a great way for people to get introduced to pull-ups, but have it be at a safe level and a safe uh, progression. Whereas there are other gyms that I've dropped into where brand new people are put up on, on these rubber bands and or or trying to do pull-ups and they're hanging from a pull-up bar where their shoulder can't support their body weight because either they're too heavy or they're too weak or both. And usually it's both. And this is just going to create, um, room for in- injury or, or actually injure them in the moment. And so, uh, taking things slow is going to be good. So shoulder injuries and then, um, low back injuries because we're sitting all day and, uh, our hips get impinged and it's not necessarily due to tight hamstrings. Um, se but tight hamstrings are a symptom of those hips uh being in bad positions and being stuck where they are because you're sitting all day um so again going lighter with things like deadlifts kettlebell swings um getting that lower back stronger um is is going to be good and then we also see people coming in with pre-existing injuries um that we need to be mindful of um and so that's just going to be an indiv- on an individual level, scaling appropriately. Uh, Melinda on this injury uh, thread says, when you do get injured, how do you balance the mental part of it where you want to get back out there, but know you have to wait until you're healed, or even when you're healed, tips for coming back safely? Uh, so this is, this is a good question. Um, I had done a podcast with Brad uh, a while back about getting injured because both he and I have had uh, ma- more major injuries where we're out for more than a few months, and personally, I think the mental part of being injured is actually worse than than the physical piece of of being injured. So, the, the mental part of you know knowing where where you have been as an athlete and and because of this physical thing where we're hurt, injured, um, needed surgery, whatever the case may be. Our brain usually gets in the way of that recovery because we're so focused on not being able to do what we used to be able to do. It's a it's a tough thing to, to teach or to, to like give someone like you can't really give someone resilience. It, it kind of takes experience and also seeing the bigger picture. Um, you know, when I had hurt my shoulder in a competition, I needed surgery and then I didn't do a pull-up for something like eight months. And as a coach, that's a tough thing to do because you can't demo anything or you, can, you can't demo most things, uh, especially if you're hanging from a pull-up bar or need to hang from a pull-up bar. And um, it took a reframing in my mind of, okay, I can't do this, but I can, let's say, squat with a safety bar. And so I squatted anytime I, you know, needed to work out basically and I got really strong in the squat and eventually squatted 400 pounds now that was later down the road that was years later but I still believe that gave me a base uh, level of strength in order to to do a 400 pound back squat uh, down the road um, and go through the mental grind of squatting every day every single day um When you are healed, tips for coming back safely, I would I would say it's very similar to starting someone new with CrossFit, but even more needing to remind athletes that they shouldn't go to the same intensity that they normally would. So unlike new people so so like new people, we're gonna scale them down more than they want, but unlike new people. The experienced people who got injured and are now coming back need to keep in mind that they, the intensity also needs to be lower. So they shouldn't try to push as hard as they normally would. But they should they should move at sixty percent of what they they n- know that they can do from the past. And that's just simply because their body needs to uh, readapt and get reacquainted with high intensity workouts. So when i was coming back from the shoulder surgery one of the first workouts i did uh, a couple months right a, a couple months after it uh, had one arm kettlebell snatches and uh, ghd sit ups and i think just air squats and it was only at like a three rounder and it probably only took 4 minutes but it was just i was i just felt terrible i almost threw up from it because i went at the intensity that i knew i was capable of the problem was that my body couldn't keep up so my mind was was thinking about being right back in it but my body wasn't ready for it so um you know it's obviously going to depend on what you're coming back from and and how we should be scaling you down but you know if you're coming back from an injury definitely be prepared to be scaled down at least for a while in order to keep up um to keep coming back and not have to take long breaks because of soreness because of whatever All right, Um, Becca says, when are the best times to eat certain foods? I.e., it's better to eat blank in the morning because blank. And then Dennis filled in the ad lib saying it's better to eat ice cream in the morning because it's delish. Yes, I agree, Dennis. Now, um, what are the best times to eat certain foods? This, uh, This is a good question. So, you know, number one, I would say get your ducks in a row, right? Um, we shouldn't be worrying about um, food timing or nutrient timing if we are eating crud foods. We need to focus on food quality. Um, we need to focus on food quantity, if especially if we're focused on performance or for leaning out. So th- those are things like calories, um, macronutrients, like carbs, fats, and proteins way down the road, then we can think about, um, food timing and it's really going to depend on people's situations. But I do think there's benefit to staying lower carb in the morning, uh, for cognitive function. So most of us have jobs. We have things we need to do where we need to be sharp. And, uh, there's pretty good evidence, um, to show that, you know, higher carb breakfasts can create that foggy brain uh, that some people get. So if you've ever felt like you're in a fog, you might wanna think about taking carbs out of the morning. So if you're used to, let's say, having a bowl of oatmeal in the morning or cereal, especially if it's sugary, try taking that out and, and eating more like eggs and bacon um, and see what happens. Most people uh, respond better cognitively by staying lower carb in the morning and then, as the day goes on, increasing those carbs, especially if you're going to be working out at, in the afternoon or night, because then we go going back to the uh, post workout protocols. Having carbs right after a workout are going to replenish that glycogen. Now, those carbs c- might just be dinner, right? It doesn't have to be a supplement, um, but having you know, 50% or even more of your carbs later in the day, especially at night, uh, could be good for a number of reasons. So that muscle glycogen replenishment, um, going to sleep, uh, better, better quality sleep. So, you know, people, you probably have heard that carbs make people sleepy. So you have a big bowl of pasta and you're sleepy or, you know, again, like going back to the oatmeal or cereal, getting sleepy mid morning or after lunch, um, being sleepy well when do we want to be sleepy at night and so having our most more of our carbs at night uh, could be actually helping us get settled for bedtime right um, so to so play around with it you know I Generally, I think the protein throughout your day should be about even. I think having you know a third of your protein at breakfast, a third at lunch, a third at dinner, but and then maybe a little bit more, a little bit less, depending. I think that's probably good. I don't think having most or all of your protein in one meal is, is necessarily beneficial. Um, some people say that if you have too much, then you'll just pee it out. Um, yeah, I think that's true to a certain point, but I also think that's a ton of protein that you need to actually eat. And most people won't. And then, in terms of fat, that will basically coincide with or uh, be inversely related to the carbs, right? So, if we're ca- low on carbs in the morning, we can be higher, we can be medium protein, higher fat in the morning. And then, as the day goes on, higher carbs, less fat. Um, because we know that fat can slow down digestion and, um, if, after a workout, if we're after a workout, we're taking supplements with carbs in them, we don't want any fat because we don't want digestion to be slow. We want those carbs to go to our muscles in the form of glycogen, and so that can all work out. So generally, I like lower carb in the morning, uh, higher carb at night, but that's very general, and then it also is very down the list in terms of priorities. So get your food quality in order, get your food quantity in order, and then we can talk about nutrient timing. Uh, But yes, Dennis, it is better to eat ice cream in the morning because it's delish. Uh, And then the last question from Becca, what do you eat when you're through all your calories of the day but still hungry, like really hungry? My friend needs to know now, right now. Yeah, so that was um, kind of a... A, joke-y, a joke question, but um, it does point to the fact that, you know, we have this in-body machine at the box that measures uh, body weight, body fat, uh, muscle mass, and then it also calculates a basal metabolic rate, a BMR. And the benefit to that is that, you know, that BMR is how many calories you, sh- you should be eating just to maintain life, just, just at rest. And what we find for a lot of our people, uh, when we put them on the scanner is that they're not eating enough. So Becca's asking this question because I have been working with her on nutrition and I've been raising her calories. And this will be probably another podcast to go into more details, but the more she's been eating, the hungrier she's getting. And basically her body is actually getting back to the levels that it needs to be at to run efficiently and to run well, rather than thinking it's starving. And, uh, and so, this is a normal feeling to be hungry, even though you're eating more than ever, like 500 calories a day more than usual. So, um, what do you eat? Well, that's another conversation, uh, and it's something that would be individual to you, but um, basically, eating more for most people is actually a good thing, especially CrossFitters. So, all right, we are at, we were right around. 36 minutes so I'm going to cut it there and uh, that's actually the end of the question list anyway so if you guys do have more questions um, hit us up at info at com. you can get it to us on social media uh, on Facebook and Instagram Cro- just look up crossacana K-A-N-N-A and uh, we will get back to you on our next Q&A podcast thanks hey folks thanks again for listening to crossacana radio If you like what you heard, head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and leave us a review, which helps us get found on the interwebs. Also, head over to social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at CrossFitKana, K-A-N-N-A. And if you have any questions for the podcast, email us at info at CrossFitKana.com. Thanks, and have a great day.